So next, uh, we have the joy of hearing from a very important person in my life. <laughs> and this is John, and he's going to be kicking off our new series. Welcome, John. We're so glad that you're here today. Greetings, everybody. I am John. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and really what I should say is happy Eastertide. This is week three of Eastertide, and that's kind of a big deal. Um, I don't know if you're tuned into this, but we've been paying a special careful attention to the church calendar recently around here, and we found some interesting things about it. So here, you can see it right there. Easter is there. And then we're in this season of Eastertide, which leads up to Pentecost, which is on June 9th this year. And that's a 50-day period of time between Easter and Pentecost. And the idea of the calendar is that we are invited to spend some time thinking about, grappling with, considering this amazing, extraordinary event that is said to have happened on, on Easter morning. Reports that Jesus of Nazareth is back from the dead, this empty tomb. Right? That's Easter morning. That, of course, is the astounding conclusion to each of the four gospel accounts of the life and the times of Jesus. Resurrection. You know, he's even more famous than Beric, Dondarrion, and Jon Snow. Okay? Anybody? Games of Thrones? Am I, am I the only one who's currently obsessed with it? Okay. Even more famous than those resurrections was Jesus, of course. And during the season of Lent this year, um, we read the gospel of Mark together. It was really great. Many of us spent a few minutes each day carefully working through this telling of the story of Jesus that Mark reports. And so my idea today was to do a, a little sermon that hopefully does a couple different things. First off, I thought it might be nice to offer some concluding comments and some takeaways for those of us who read that together and to kind of wrap it all up. But the second idea, too, was to offer an overview Kind of a snapshot and some of the main themes for those of us who maybe weren't able to do the reading. Kind of get us all on the same page as we wrestle through these interesting implications of this beautiful and powerful piece of scripture that we believe has so much to offer us. Right? So that's the goal of today. And it really was good stuff. The Gospel of Mark was great. It's a fast-paced, action-packed, game-changing story of Jesus, as Mark tells it. And the underlying premise that seems to be operating is that Jesus, in a very unique way, has revealed something of God, right? I think God reveals himself, or God reveals herself, in so many, many different ways, all the time. I think you see hints and fingerprints all over the place. You can see it in creation, you can see it in other people, you can see it in traditions of faith, and in spiritual experiences, and sacred writings. Um, but the uniqueness of Jesus is that he is said to be fully human, and fully divine, the Son of God. And so, for example, it says this in, in the book of Hebrews. This is a famous statement. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Or the Apostle Paul writes it like this. The Son is the visible image of the invisible God. God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So the idea was that reading this Gospel of Mark together, like we did over Lent, was an opportunity to consider the story of Jesus and to interact with him in it. You know, because our core belief about the Bible is that really it's an invitation. And more than just providing us information that we should download or truths to believe, that really it's an invitation to explore and to consider and to ponder and to reflect and discuss and even debate you know, what does it mean to have this life of connection? 
What does it mean to have a connection to God and to others and to ourselves? And so that's why we took some time over Lent to read the Gospel of Mark. It's why, it's why the Bible features so prominently in every sermon we do around here, uh, because it helps us consider all those very important things. And I do think that many of us who read the Gospel of Mark during this season did experience a, a deeper sense of connection to God and to ourselves. Just personally, like from just John point of view, I really had kind of an interesting time reading the gospel this time through. And I was impacted in kind of a surprising way I thought about. I found myself just feeling a little better about being a human being as I read the gospel of Mark. It was an interesting thing for me. I felt a little bit more uh, comfortable just in my own regular humanity, a little more connected to myself, a little more at ease in reading this gospel. And I think part of the reason is because when I read the gospel of Mark this time, Jesus' humanity really stood out to me in a way that hadn't really before. I mean, you could see as you read the story of Mark that there were times when Jesus was excited and energized, and you could see that there were times when he was maybe agitated or angry or afraid. And there was something about seeing Jesus regular human emotions, I think that just made me feel a little bit more at ease with my own. He was fully human and yet fully divine, and I just found that to be comforting. And I think the other reason that reading through the Gospel of Mark made me feel better about myself is because I ended up feeling like I could see myself in these different types of people who interacted with Jesus through the story of Mark. So you got like the religious leaders and the disciples and crowds of people and I got this because of you guys, actually. I got this by paying attention to the comments from the readings. You know, each day we posted this thing, and people would comment, and we ran this blog. We had hundreds of comments from the reading that just came from all the members of our community. And I loved how everyone who participated in this blog over the season of Lent was so open-hearted. There was really this open-heartedness to it. People were quick to place themselves in the stories, but in a very re self-reflective sort of way. It was inspiring, actually. So, for example, you know, the religious leaders in the story of Mark, they're the bad guys because they're constantly resisting Jesus and they're, you know, they're trying to attack him and undermine him. They're defending the status quo. They're always taking offense. But I remember someone, I don't know who it was here, who, who made a comment on that blog, and they said something to the effect of, you know, if I'm honest, I'm like those Pharisees and those religious leaders, because I, sometimes I get so certain of my own ideas that I become resistant and defensive when someone or something challenges them. Oh, wow, that's, that's self-reflective. Or let's think about these disciples. You know, in the, in the story, the disciples come off as, my dad would say, D-U-M-M. -M. <laughs> these guys were clueless so much of the time. They were exasperatingly slow to catch on to what was happening. But again, someone pointed out in the comment section that they feel like those disciples too because you know, sometimes they can hear things over and over and over without really grasping the implications of those things. Or the crowds. The crowds in the stories are so fickle, right? They're so excited about Jesus one day and then they turn on him the next, right? But aren't we like that? Really? You know, one day we're upbeat, and the next day we're downcast. You know, that's just the human experience. Or is that just me? 
Am I, the, am I a little... I don't want to hear from my wife on this or that. <laughs> right? That's, that's life. So it made me think that maybe Mark was including these different responses to Jesus in his story. Not so much to say, don't be like them. But to say, listen, we're all like them. We all share things in common with those different responses. And it's okay. I found that to be really reassuring. You know, sometimes we human beings are resistant Sometimes we're defensive or fickle or clueless or sometimes we're emotional. But that's just part of being human. So personally, I was kind of surprised. I found myself just feeling better about being a human being. Being a human being. So that was good. So what I was hoping to do today is just touch on three major themes that you will find, that we found coming up in the Gospel of Mark. Here's the first one. This was a biggie. Jesus redefined and reoriented faith. That's one of the big themes, takeaways from the gospel. Mark, it's the first thing you see. He's redefining what faith is all about. He's reorienting people's understanding of God in very big ways, so many ways. So he takes things like Messiah or kingdom or authority, these big loaded terms, and he kind of upends them in very radical ways. He overturned conventional thinking. So with Jesus, the Messiah wasn't a triumphant king or some domineering leader, a ruler, but a humble servant. That was surprising and unexpected for people at that time. And then the notion of a crucified Messiah. Now, Messiah means a holy and anointed leader. And so a holy and anointed leader who's executed as a criminal, who, who basically just loses the Game of Thrones. Okay, sorry, I won't. Just lose it. It's hard to overstate just how surprising that reorientation was. Likewise, Jesus redefined this notion of a kingdom. You know, his picture of God's kingdom is very counterintuitive. You see that all through the book of Mark. In Mark's portrayal, God's kingdom is more like it bubbles up from below rather than being enforced from above. It's very counterintuitive. It's kind of an upside-down picture. And rather than being a hierarchy, this kingdom levels the playing field and invites anyone and everyone to be a part of it. This is counterintuitive stuff. This kingdom is completely inclusive, and it welcomes anyone, even the most unlikely people, into community. It's one of those deals where everyone gets to play. That was a reorientation and redefinition. And then, of course, he does the same thing with authority and power and influence, right? He flips them upside down. He demonstrates that true authority will humble itself. And real power, spiritual power, empties itself out for other people. And true influence is to serve others selflessly. Those are all core ideas that Jesus reoriented people on. So he he redefined Messiah and kingdom and authority. He reoriented people towards God at the deepest level. That's what he did. That was one big theme that you got from reading Mark. The second big theme that I noticed was that Jesus invited his followers to do the stuff. One of the very first things that that happens when you open up the book of Mark is you see that Jesus just starts this. It starts with a bang. And this ministry just goes whoosh right out of the gate. So he's teaching these incredible things. His miracles are just stunning. He's doing healings that are fantastic. He's doing exorcisms that are really awe-inspiring. That's what I call doing the stuff, you know, the stuff of the kingdom. It's wonderful. 
bang, right out of the gate. But it's surprising how quickly he turns this around. The most amazing part isn't that he did that stuff. To me, the most amazing part was that first he did it, and then he gave it away to his 12 disciples. He said, now it's your turn. That's interesting, right? He gathers these 12 disciples to himself and says, go ahead, observe me in action. Watch this. And then he says, okay, now you go. He sends them out. 12 people first, and then 72. Then, of course, the book ends with him sending them out again. It's quite interesting to consider the implications of that. Consider this scene. Jesus, at this moment, is wildly popular. He's drawing huge crowds because of all these amazing things he's doing. People are coming from all over the place, wherever he travels, and then we, we get this story. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something that they just... What they're saying is, get them out of here. Jesus says, you feed them. Those are three outrageous words. You feed them. And, of course, this leads to this wonderful miracle called the loaves and the fishes. But those three words, you feed them, they ki- it kind of sums up so much of Mark's gospel, I think. Because Jesus was all about releasing his followers to do what he did. And not just this flashy, miraculous stuff. He, he clearly instructed them to follow him in the way of the cross as well. To lay down their lives for others in love. Here's an interesting thought. Jesus never said, I want you to worship me because of all these amazing things you've seen me do. He actually didn't say that. What he said was more like, you've seen me do these things. Now it's your turn to do them. Follow my example. So they didn't sit around and watch someone else do ministry. They actually personally engaged in this activity of the kingdom of God. They did the stuff of the kingdom. That's a pretty crucial theme that comes up during the Gospel of Mark. Here's the third one that stood out to me. It's this, that the least likely people end up having the biggest impact. This was curious. Mark does kind of an interesting thing in writing his Gospel account of Jesus. Kind of a sneaky thing. And he shows us that it is the least likely people who end up having this tremendous influence and really capture Jesus' attention in some interesting ways. Again, I think he's doing this to underscore that it's all upside down. It's kind of counterintuitive. So slipped in quietly into Mark's gospel, there are these mentions of five nameless women. And these really come off as the ideal disciples, the examples to follow. These are kind of the ones who get it. We must remember that we're talking first century Middle Eastern culture. Okay, these people are on the margins. These women are on the margins. This is a very patriarchal, sexist society, no question about it. So they're really second-class citizens. So you've got these lowly, unnamed women who just kind of quietly steal the show throughout this book. It's quite interesting. It's the exact opposite of Peter, James, and John, the sons of thunder. You know, everybody knows their name and knows that they're like so wildly ambitious and aggressive and so forth. Everyone knows the sons of thunder and Peter. A lot of ambition. But in contrast to all of that, we have five nameless women who appear in Mark's gospel. Very significant. The first one is Peter's mother-in-law. One of the early miracles is Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Her name, nobody knows. But 
she's included in the gospel because she does a small but remarkable thing. She's healed by Jesus' miraculous touch of her illness. And what she does is she jumps right up and, anybody remember? She serves. She jumps right up and prepares a meal for the rest of the crew there. See, that's the picture of faith in action. Receiving something and then turning right around and giving it away. Nobody knows her name, but this is an incredible example. It's faith in action. The second one is the bleeding woman. It's one of the most amazing and beautiful stories. It's all about this woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, and she aggressively pursues Jesus for healing. Remember this? Sneaks up from behind him in a crowd just to touch his cloak, thinking that's all it'll take for me to get well. She does it, and it works. And then Jesus stops everything in the middle of a big crowd, turns around, calls her out, and instead of getting in trouble, he publicly affirms her faith in action says, this is something special. Now, this is, this is interesting in context because just a chapter earlier, you got the disciples in the boat and Jesus is doing one of these oy vey moments. Like, they're, they, you have no faith. Very next story, we've got this woman who, who literally stops Jesus in his tracks. She wows him. That's significant. Then you've got this Gentile woman. This is a gal who says to Jesus, she, essentially she says, listen, I know that technically I'm outside of the group that you came to minister to, but I have a need. Could you do this for me? And Jesus says, no. And then she's got moxie to go, well, hang on a second. And she pushes back and challenges Jesus on that refusal. And what does he do? Jesus overrides his initial reluctance and he performs this beautiful miracle in her life. She gets him to expand his ministry. That's pretty cool. Some scholars suggest that it was this interaction that began to him to begin including a wider range of people in what he did. In any case, it was audacious, again, faith in action of this nameless woman that basically caused Jesus to go, now that's what I'm talking about. It's a profound moment. The, the fourth is the widow, you know, as in the widow's mite, that offering, this old, nameless woman. This one, this, she really would be at the very bottom of the rung of the socioeconomic ladder, right? She's in the last place in that culture. But she moves Jesus, moves him. He's so impressed. And I think he's impressed because she actually does what he's been talking about Surrendering herself in this very powerful way. She lays down her life. It's not just a monetary offering. It was really a stunning act of faith and surrender that Jesus holds up as an example to all and says, look at this. The fifth is the anointer. I'll call her the, the anointer. This, this woman was probably Mary Magdalene, but Mark makes a point in his gospel of leaving her name out of it. Right? So once again, we have a nameless woman anointing Jesus. This is to the end of his life now. She anoints him with perfume and does this amazing thing that seems to indicate that she grasped what even his closest friends couldn't get. She grasped that, yes, this is the Messiah, and yes, he's headed for death. That was a powerful moment. She put her faith into action, and Jesus himself, again, holds her up as an example to everyone. If you, if you weren't here two weeks ago to hear Caroline's sermon about the woman who anointed Jesus, you've got to go back. April 14th, it was a wonderful message, and, and uh, so much more to talk about that beautiful thing, and she did a great job, so check that out. But the point is this. We've got five unnamed 
women, unknown women, slipped into Mark's account as the most impressive pictures of faith. What are we to make of that? These quiet, marginalized, kind of the most unlikely people get it. They grasp something of faith and then they put it into action. That, I think, is the key. So Peter's mother-in-law jumps up and serves. And the bleeding woman fights through a crowd to touch Jesus. This Gentile woman pushes back and argues with the Son of God. The widow offers her whole life to God in faith. And this anointing woman creates this fragrant scene by acknowledging Jesus as a Messiah who would die. And there's that underlying paradox that's so crucial. Again, a Messiah who would die. A ruler who would serve. A king who would surrender all. This is an upside-down kingdom. I think the idea is that Jesus was very paradoxical. He was a paradoxical Messiah. And the kingdom that he presented was very paradoxical. And you know who got it? The paradoxical people. That's who really got it. These nameless, marginalized, second-class citizens of the time. They're the ones who exemplify faith. So Mark is quite clever in how he gets his message across. Interesting, right? So those are the three major themes that I saw in Mark that I wanted to bring up today. That Jesus redefined and reoriented faith. That he invited his followers to do the stuff of the kingdom. And that the least likely people could make the biggest impact. Those are all the powerful motifs that you get just by reading through Mark. But here's the thing. All of that happens even before this humdinger of a finish you can pick all that up before you even get to the end because you get to that last chapter. Again, it's like now we're talking resurrection. Well, hang on. So here we are right now. We're two weeks after Easter, right? Two weeks ago? Yes, two weeks ago. So imagine these earliest disciples, imagine them being two weeks after Resurrection Sunday. You know what they would be saying at that point? This changes everything. This changes everything. They probably looked back on all the things that Jesus said and all the things he did with a new lens because the resurrection is going to change everything. That's why we're kicking off this new sermon series that's going to go for the next few weeks. This changes everything. You know, sometimes you get a hold of something that makes you look back and reinterpret all the things that came before. The resurrection would be one of those things. Remember the movie, The Sixth Sense? You, you find out the little twist at the end, and you go, oh, that changes everything. I want to see that again. It's like, it's like watching it a second time. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. <laughs> a little twist. I'm sorry. Sorry. Speaking of spoiler alerts, how, how, about, how about this one? I won't spoil it, but let's say, you know, um, last week's episode of Game of Thrones was quite a... Let's say that um, let's say that Arya Stark. You know, let's say that you learn something about her that makes you go, "Oh, well, hang on a second. Maybe she's not just a murderous little thug. Maybe she's got a you know, hang on. This is this could change everything. It causes you to reinterpret. That's an interesting thought. So we believe, apart from these fictional things, we believe that Jesus being raised from the dead is one of those things that changes everything. It would change everything. That's what we want to talk about in these next few weeks of Eastertide up through Pentecost and beyond. 
So just for example, if Jesus is raised, then how do we look back on these three themes of ours? Okay, think about this. So not only did Jesus redefine and reorient faith back then in the past, he's doing it today. He still does it. He does it in our lives today. So sometimes I think we read this and we act like, well, that's all in the past. Jesus took on the, you know, the existing religious structures and those outdated perspectives. And, oh, well, he replaced them with new religious structures and new Christian perspectives. It's like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't know about that. I think redefining and reorienting is what Jesus did and what he still does now. So he's still challenging religious structures and outdated perspectives even now, although ironically nowadays they all bear his name. I think Jesus is moving forward. In my experience, when you hang around Jesus, you're going to find yourself feeling challenged at some point and prodded or pushed to consider your life and your faith from some new vantage point. Why? Because he's alive. It's what he did then. It's what he does now. Jesus helps us to reorient, redefine. So my first practical suggestion is just that. Let's let him do it. Let's let Jesus reorient us. Let's let him redirect us in the ways that we need to be, redefine things. So another one is this. So what if, if Jesus is raised? Well, it does change everything because it would mean that not only were his disciples invited to follow his example back in the day, but we are too. We are invited to embrace our kingdom potential and not just to read about others who did it in ancient history or watch others do it now, but we're invited to do that. We're invited to follow Jesus' example all the way, not just in this kindness and love, I mean, of course, but also in this dynamic ministry, this dynamic forward motion that he brought into people's lives. I really believe that each of us has something to contribute in this. That we can each do it in our own unique ways. It's going to look different for everyone because we're all wired differently. But let me just ask you this. Is there any chance you could help bring truth and spiritual insight to people in your life? Could you help bring health and healing to people who are sick and broken? Could you help bring a miraculous breakthrough to people who are in a place where they need it? Could you help bring freedom and peace to those who might be feeling spiritually oppressed or harassed in some way? I think we all have some role to play. And that's the stuff. That's the stuff that Jesus invites us to partner with him in doing. Actually, following Jesus' example, it goes further. I think it goes even further. We're invited to follow him into suffering and death and resurrection. I think sometimes we Christians think Jesus suffered and died and was resurrected, so I don't have to be. But I think it's more true to say Jesus went first in suffering and in death and in resurrection so that he could chart the course and then accompany us as we go through it ourselves. So that has a little bit of bad news embedded in it. We're all going to suffer and die. Valor magules. Is that right? Game of Thrones? All men must die. That's bad news. But here's the good news. 
Jesus is raised. And we'll walk through that with us personally. And it ends in resurrection. That's good. But here's the thing. You can't get, you can't get to the resurrection without going through the death part first. Bummer. But it does seem to be true. But even pain and sin and death lead back to life. To resurrection life. So we do want to do all that Jesus did. All of it. And there's a lot to learn in this regard. Right? There is. There's a lot to talk about. And that's really what our church is all about. It's why we do all of this. It's why all the things that we do are geared towards help people connect with Jesus personally and try to follow him in all these ways in our lives. So that's my second suggestion. Let's do it. Let's do what Jesus did. You with me? Am I tracking? Need another Game of Thrones reference? All right, so final thought here. What if each one of us could directly tap into life and love and goodness? What if each one of us could get this firsthand access to hope and to joy and to connection? What if everybody had that access? How great would that be? Well, isn't that what these five nameless women did in Mark's gospel account? You know, each in their own way and in their own circumstance. These were not religious leaders and they weren't even official disciples, right? But they just put their faith into action to connect with Jesus and it moved him. It moved him. I think we all do this. We tend to discount our own ability to have any real spiritual, you know, any real true deep spirituality, some spiritual moment or impact. I think we all do that. We all say to ourselves, you know, I'm not any big deal. I mean, I'm like the least likely person when it comes to having a high-impact faith. That's just not me. But we must remember these nameless women. So that's my final suggestion. Let's put our faith into action and connect with Jesus. Let's do that. Like these unlikely nameless women did. So, Jesus raised from the dead. This changes everything. And I'm going to propose that Jesus' resurrection would offer every single one of us, all of us, life and love and joy and hope and peace and connection. And that goes for every single one of us without exception, including the least likely ones of us. Or maybe especially the least likely ones of us. Because if Jesus is alive, then we can come alive too. Starting right here and right now. Let me pray. Jesus, we do want to connect with you. We do want to offer ourselves, open ourselves up for you to redirect and redefine and reorient us and draw us into new understandings and new places in our life, we do. We want to move forward. We understand that's what you do. It's who you are. And we would love for you to do that in our lives. And we want to follow your example too, Lord. We, uh, we understand that you've offered an opportunity for us to uh, maybe be a part of much more than we realized in bringing your goodness and your kingdom to people. We want to do what you did, Lord. Each in our own way. 
And we want to know how we can put our faith into action, how we could make a connection even now in these few moments that we have together. Amen.